Testing, te- oh, there you go, how's that? I'll take the blame on that one because Marshall's much better at this than I am in the back. So, um, good morning. I'll take credit for the rain, though. How's that? All right. If you're with us as a visitor this morning, um, we're glad that you are with us. We'd like to uh, ask everybody every week if you guys can keep moving towards the front and towards the middle because we're seeing more and more folks each week. I think this morning we'll even have some late arrivers due to that stuff falling out of the sky today, and that's a great thing. We're glad to have the kids in with us this morning, too. We do that uh, about once a month so that the kids can participate with us in the Lord's Supper later on in the service. So if you're wondering why there's no children at church this morning, that's why, because we want the kids to be able to take part in that ordinance from the Lord as well. We're going to get into the book of Colossians here in just a minute. As we do, before we open up our Bibles, let's open with a word of prayer this morning, okay? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take our hearts this morning. I pray, Father God, that you would open us up to hear from your word. I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to remove any preconceived ideas we have today. I pray, Father God, that you would make our hearts fertile soil for the word of God to be implanted in them, Lord, for it to grow, for it to take a hold, and for it to change our lives today, Lord. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. We've been uh, going through for the last, I guess this is the second week, in the book of Colossians. Um, and the, the name of the series in the book of Colossians is A Life Driven by the Gospel. And this morning our specific topic is gospel warfare. If you've been following along uh, on our website, you can go there and the, the book of Colossians uh, logo is on there. And if you click on that, it will take you to a reading uh, suggestion for the week. And if you keep up with us through this study in the book of Colossians, you will know it very, very well by the time it's done. We encourage everyone to do that. So take a look at the website, tomballbible.org, and look at the Colossians banner that's on it. This morning as we begin, I would like to uh, read from the book of Colossians chapter 1, beginning where we started last week and reading all the way through verse 14. So if you have your Bible with you, please open to Colossians 1. We'll read verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you, peace from our God and Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up in you, uh, laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, and it is also does among you since the day you heard it and understand the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned um, from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a servant and minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. 
May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might and all endurance and patience with God or with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. So the topic for this morning, gospel warfare. Is there really this battle of good and evil? Is there really this thing going on in the world with Satan on one side, God on the other? Well, yes, it is very real. A number of guys, about 50 guys, I think, yesterday went and saw uh, the movie Courageous together last evening. And uh, if you haven't seen it, it's phenomenal. I'd encourage you to go uh, get out to see it. And in that movie, part, one of the themes of the movie that is, is that once we have committed ourselves to Christ, there is going to be resistance, that Satan is alive and well, and Satan is in warfare against the powers of God. It's a very real thing. It's going on each and every day all around us, and we need to know that it's going on so that we can be ready for the fight. The Russian author Dostoevsky said, There is a battle. The devil wrestles with God, and the battlefield is the heart of man. In the book of Ephesians, which is sort of the longer version of the book of Colossians, if you read the book of Colossians and you've read it through a couple times, you might want to skip back uh, in, your, in your Bible to the book of Ephesians, because it's a, it's a similar book with just a little more detail in it as well. And in the book of Ephesians... Paul writes this, he says in verse uh, chapter 6, beginning at verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be, able, may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may able to be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Paul says there is a battle. It's going to happen. It's not that it might you might need this armor, but that you will need this armor. You need to be prepared because this battle is going on all around us every day. So this morning I want to start out sort of at the end of the passage that we read and look at the competing forces in this battle. So go with me to verse 13 and 14 and we read this. He, meaning God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. Now, the topic of our, our study through the book of Colossians is about the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ came, died on the cross for our sins so that we could have redemption, so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could have uh, a price paid for the wrong things that we have done. That's the gospel in a nutshell. It's the good news. It's the great news of what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. But these verses say he's done more than that. The gospel goes a little further than that. It says that because of this price that God has paid through Jesus Christ, that he has actually delivered us from the domain of darkness. And I think the, the words that are used here are very, very uh, interesting because he talks about the domain of darkness and the kingdom of his beloved son. 
Now, if you look at those two words, they're very different from each other. What is a domain? A domain is some place that is completely controlled. The domain of darkness is some place that is, that is dominated, that is oppressive to the people that live there. It's under the control of Satan, and Satan's job in that domain is to control and to put down the people that are existing there, to keep them down. And the Bible says here that, that we are moved from that spot, we are actually transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. What's the difference between a domain and a kingdom? A domain is someplace that, that requires control. A kingdom is something that reflects the character of the king. A kingdom is someplace where, where the king is in control and he can, he can impart to the people that are there whatever he wishes. And that's the picture we get here. That, that in this domain of Satan we are controlled, we're put down, we are, we're beaten down, we're kept in, in our sin. And in the, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of his beloved son, we're delivered from that. And we get to glory and bask in the king, Jesus Christ who loves us so much that he gave his own life for us and therefore has always our best interest at heart and always wants to continue to show us his love. And the difference between the two is very, very stark. I like the word here, too, that it says that we were delivered. So first of all, we were, we were taken out and freed from this oppression. If you, you get the picture of a prisoner who's been unshackled, been let out of his cell. But it's not just that God, when he forgives us, turns us loose from that domain of Satan. It's not just that he lets us out of that prison cell. It's not just that he takes the shackles off of us. It's more than that. It says not only has he unshackled us, has he unbound us, has he taken us out of that, that prison of, of Satan, but it also says that he has transferred us into this kingdom of his beloved son. He's not just turned us loose from Satan, but he's actually drawn us in and taken us in and implanted us in this kingdom of heaven, this kingdom of Jesus Christ, this kingdom of a king that loves us so much that he has already given his life for us. That it's not just some promise out in the, in the future somewhere. This is something that's already proven. God has proven his love towards us because Christ has already died for us. God doesn't do things halfway. He doesn't do things in half measure. He doesn't just rescue us and set us on a desert island all by ourselves to do whatever and fend for ourselves again. It's very, very clear that when he rescues us, it's for a purpose, and it's for the purpose of living in this kingdom of Jesus Christ. We're brought into a brand new place. It also is pretty clear in this passage, that it's not ourselves that are doing this. It's not just that, that we have made this choice, that we have realized somehow that we're in this domain of Satan and, and that there's this better place, and so we are going to rescue ourselves from where we are and get to someplace different. That is not what this passage says at all. This passage says very clearly that this is a gift of God. This is something that God has done for us. It is our faith that has allowed us to be in the presence of God for him to remove us from the prison of Satan and place us into the kingdom of his beloved son. 
All we need to do is be willing participants. And he takes care of the details. He exercises his power, and it is his power that does this on our behalf. That means it's not dependent on us. Because if you're anything like me, I don't have it within me to, to uh, do this on my own. None of us do. The only, the only being that has this ability is Jesus Christ. There's no special criteria for this. But you know what? There is a special identity that comes with this. And I want to look back a little bit on this whole thing. Look at verse 12, if you will. It says, The Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And verse 2 calls us saints and faithful brothers in Christ. And I don't want to just skip over those words lightly. You know, sometimes we look at, at Scripture and we... We think that, you know, some of the words have great meaning and, and some may not. I, I think this is a tremendous bit of truth right here. And that is that, that God has qualified us because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ to be something that we are absolutely not on our own. I don't know what you think of when you think of the word saint or faithful brother in Christ or beloved, all those things. But that's what God has qualified us to be called. And you know what? I, I don't know everybody out here. I know some people. I know myself. And on my own, I'm not capable of, of being that person. I'm not capable of qualifying for that term saint, faithful brother in Christ. Now, I know somebody very well. We were business partners for a while. And, and while we were business partners, he, um, well came to the realization that he was an alcoholic. Came to that realization after being told by many people, including myself and his wife and others, went into a 28-day inpatient 12-step program. Day 27 in the program, and I was with him through the whole thing, going every couple days to be part of the meetings and things with him, he looked up at God and said, God, I just, tomorrow's the day I get out. 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, I know I'm getting out. And I know on that day, Lord, when I get out of here, he's praying. He says, I know on that day, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to drive out of here and I'm going to go to the liquor store that's a couple blocks away down the street. And you are going to have to do something in my life. You are going to have to take this away from me. You are going to have to transform me into something that I am not. He picked up his Bible that day and read the book of Colossians. Probably because it's one of the shorter epistles. <laughs> About three pages in my Bible. And kept going back to that very first section where Paul talks about writing to the saints. And he came to the realization right there that because he had a relationship with Jesus Christ, that he was a saint. In God's eyes, even though he may not have been in his own eyes, even though Satan told him every single day, you're no good, God can't love somebody like you, you're a drunk. He had other people telling him that. But he came to that realization that day that he was a saint. A couple weeks after he got out of rehab, and it's been over 20 years, he's still clean and sober, not, never had a drink since, by the grace of God. A couple weeks after that, I asked him to come and share with the youth group at our church. And I will never forget that because he looked up and he said, 
I'm looking out at a bunch of saints right here if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And don't ever let anybody tell you anything different because this world is full of people and demons and Satan that will tell you that you don't deserve what God has in store for you. That's the glory of the gospel, people, is not just that Jesus died, but that he will completely transform us and transplant us into something that we're not on our own, that we can't be on our own. But God's vision of us is so much different than our vision of ourselves so much of the time. So don't let anybody tell you that you are not qualified for the love of God, that you are not qualified to serve God, that you are not qualified to be a part of God's kingdom, because you are. It's very clear in this passage. So how do you become a saint? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's a gift of God that you get to be a saint, and you get to be that because of your faith. If you're here this morning and you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have not ever, if you've listened to that lie of Satan that says, you're not good enough for God, I'm telling you right now, you are. And the Bible says that if you place your, Christ, your faith in Jesus Christ this morning, that you can be one of God's beloved children today. Then Paul goes on to tell the Colossian Christians another reason that he's thankful He's thankful that God has delivered them and transformed them because of their faith. Look back at verses 3 and 4 where he says this. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ. It's the essence of the gospel. It's the ticket to heaven. But now once you've been transformed as a beloved brother, what do you do next? Well, I want to spend a few minutes this morning, and I want to look at verses 9 and 10. Because I think there is some incredible truth in there, too. I think verses 9 and 10 share with us the basic training for God's gospel soldiers. It says this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, and in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. See, as I look at that passage, I think, and I think we have a graphic up here, it becomes a cycle for us. Let's look at the cycle right here. He says that in this whole thing, there's this cycle of spiritual warfare. There's this battle going on, and, and this is what we need to do. It says, first, we need to be filled with knowledge. Quite frankly, that's what happens here on Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings are a time where you can come and you can hear people speak the Word of God. Hopefully, we each Sunday morning are boldly holding forth the Word of truth, and we are all gaining knowledge. But according to James 2, demons know more than we're ever going to know. And when they think about what's going on there in the world, it says they shudder. When they know what's going on in the Word of God, it says they, they shudder about that. And knowledge is not enough. 
If, if the only thing that's going on in, in your life is that, that you're coming here on Sunday morning and you're gaining knowledge from God's Word, it's not a bad thing, but it sure is a small thing. On Friday night, uh, a few of us had the privilege of, of listening to Greg and Heidi Greenlaw share about what's been going on in the last 10 or 12 years of their lives as they've been missionaries in Papua New Guinea. About 10 years of which was spent out in the, in the bush, if I'm getting all my facts right, with the Nakwe people. And, and it struck me as, as I was sitting there listening to them, and, and Greg and Heidi both reiterated the same thing. I think Heidi told the story first that, that, that they came to these people, and this was a people group that, that hadn't heard of God, they had no written language, they had no knowledge of, of God. And some, some missionaries had been there before them, and then, and then Greg came, and then Greg and Heidi came together, and then they had like 40 kids there. For those of you that know them, it's not quite that many. It just seems that way, I'm sure, to them. Um, but they got there. The Nakwi people were eager to listen. They gained knowledge. But one of the things that they found was that as, as long as they were there with the Nakwi people, that, that that's what they did. They took in knowledge. Some of them learned to write their own language, which had never been written before. Some of them learned passages of Scripture. Many of them heard the Word of God. As a matter of fact, because of the kind of village that they lived in, pretty much all of them heard the Word of God. They had knowledge. But what, what Greg and Heidi found is, after they'd been there a while and they, they left a couple years ago and have gone back for a couple visits subsequent to that, is that as long as they were there, pretty much all those Nakwi people were gaining, most of them was just knowledge. And, and when, when they left and the Nakwi people had to kind of take over on their own, some of the believers that were, were a little more mature kind of stepped up. And when they stepped up, they, they moved to the next step. They didn't just have knowledge in their heads anymore. They moved to the step of wisdom. Wisdom and understanding. And in biblical terms, wisdom and understanding is taking the knowledge that you have in your head and allowing it to make application into your lives. And I will never forget what, what Heidi said. She said, we went back, and the first time we had gone, and they knew we were coming back again, we got back and we realized what we had was a bunch of fat little baby Christians. They were just absolutely willing to have us come and pour more knowledge into their lives. But it wasn't really making a difference in their lives. Then when they stepped out and the Nakwe people realized they were kind of on their own with this whole thing, they began to grow and they began to go to the next step here and where knowledge of his will turned into wisdom and understanding where they began to apply it to their lives and it began to transform their lives. Then, then once that happens, once you have the knowledge in your head and it begins to transform your lives, then it begins to actually transform what you do. It says that, that the next step is that we, we walk worthy. I grew up in the Chicago area, hence my outrageous accent. And, and when I was a high school kid and on into college, there was a guy that played football there. You may have heard of him, Walter Payton. And he was pretty good with the football. He could really run. Sweetness was something else. 
Some of the guys are grinning. Some of you have no idea. That's all right. Trust me, he was a great running back. And Walter Payton came out of college as a great running back, and in his, his rookie year, he proved that. And, and he played for the Bears for a number of years. And one of my favorite stories about Walter Payton is every year when they would gather together for the beginning of training camp, he'd get all the rookies together, and he'd sit them down, he'd take them to dinner, and he'd say, guys, there's something I need to tell you. And here it is. If, by some miracle, because that's sort of what it takes in the NFL, you ever make it to the end zone, There's a couple things you need to do. First of all, you need to act like you've been there before. And second of all, you need to act like you intend to get there again. I think every football team in the NFL ought to play that tape of Walter Payton saying that every year. He wasn't about, if you ever watch, you know, all the hundreds of touchdowns he scored, wasn't a big celebrator. As a matter of fact, his deal was because he was a running back and he had some ginormous linemen in front of him, when he scored a touchdown, he'd walk up and whoever threw the best block for him, he'd hand him the ball, and that's the guy that got to spike the ball. Act like you've been there before and act like you intend to get there again because you don't do this on your own. You know, I think when we have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ... There's a couple things that we need to do that sort of follows with this Walter Payton mentality. Number one, I think in our day-to-day lives, we need to act like we know God. So there's no doubt with people when they see us. Second thing is, we need to be excited about it. And the third thing is, we need to act like we want more. We need to want more. And it's this cycle of, of we go from knowledge to wisdom to walking worthy. And when we do that, God will take our actions, God will take our frailties, he'll take all that we are, and it says that we will bear fruit. God produces fruit in us. The great thing about about the Bible is that, that there's so little that we need to do. Get this, if you hear God's word, if you make application of it to your life, if you start walking away like it's changed your life, God is going to use that to bear fruit that will be beneficial to others. And then once that happens, you know what? It's not a single time through kind of deal. It goes right back up to the top again, and it says, then we will need to gain more more knowledge. And, And so I'm... I'm looking at this and I'm saying, you know, all of us fall somewhere in this continuum thing this morning. Some of us are here this morning and, and we come to church every morning and or Sunday morning and, and knowledge is imparted to us. Some of us come and knowledge is imparted to us and, and it may catch somewhere in our mind and it may make an impact in our lives. So we start applying it. And when we apply it, it, it kind of changes the way we do things. And, and maybe that's something that will create some fruit, that God can use to make some fruit. Unfortunately, a lot of us stop there when fruit's made and we don't go back and start again to gain more knowledge and wisdom and all those things. There's an a ancient Jewish saying that says, when, when the Word of God speaks... It starts in our heads, that's knowledge. It moves to our hearts, that's wisdom. It comes out in our hands, that's what we do. And then finally it makes us move our feet. 
So we go on to the next thing. We take it to other people. Again, one of the great lies that Satan tells us is that, that because of who we are, that we're not worthy, we're not qualified. That we don't have anything to share with others. That, that yeah, we may understand this gospel, but we've disqualified ourselves because of the things that we have done. And that is not what the Bible says. The Bible says that it's God that has qualified you and not you that has disqualified you. He has moved you from this domain where you are oppressed by Satan and moved you into the kingdom of his son. And so we all have choices to make. I got a chance to share with the the junior high uh, students on on Wednesday night a little bit during uh, connection time. And one of the... It was sort of a last-minute deal, and so I pulled out a a Bible story that we had been working on uh, Wednesday morning with the the guys group that I meet with. And we're going through a a book on the study of David, the the character of David, written by Chuck Swindoll. And the chapter we were on happens to be the week, or the, the chapter after... The David and Goliath story. And, and in that story, he talks about, about how all of us encounter giants in our lives. And I don't know what the giant is in your life this morning. Maybe, it's, maybe you're sitting here this morning, and as I'm talking about this, this gospel thing, it's a realization this morning that, that you may have heard the word of God before, but it really has never penetrated into your life, and, and you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior. You believe that lie of Satan that says you're not worthy, you're not ready, you've got to do something else. Maybe the giant is that, that you're a big fat baby here this morning that's been so filled with knowledge from years and decades and you've never let it be applied to your life so that it makes a difference. Maybe it's that you've gone out and you've messed up in front of people. I don't know what it is. But, but on that day, if you recall the story of David and Goliath, there's, there's several groups of people. There's the Philistines, and they look out and they say, we got this giant who's in front of us. His name's Goliath. He's nine foot, nine inches tall, and he's a great warrior, and he can really trash talk too. And we're going to get in line behind Goliath, and and we're going to follow Goliath, and that's the giant that they saw. The Israelites were on the other side of this valley, and they saw the same giant, but from a different perspective, and they said, there's this huge giant over there, and he's too big to get around. And we're scared. And every day for 40 days, they sat and quaked in their armor. There's a song about that somewhere. But David shows up and he says, What? That guy? Nine feet tall? That's nothing. I got a giant that's bigger than that. God is my giant. And God has qualified me today to go to battle against that guy out there. And I don't care what anybody says. And I don't care what anybody thinks. This guy is insulting the living God of Israel. And he needs to be brought down today. The Bible says that David, if you know the story, ran to meet Goliath. Everybody saw a giant Someone to follow, someone too big to get around, and David just said, God's my giant, and that's good enough for me. So there's a battle going on out there, people. It's the battle for the hearts of people, of ourselves, of people who don't know Jesus Christ, of everybody in the world between God and Satan. And we have a choice to make. 
Where do we get in the battle? Do we look and we say, this thing is just too big to get around? Or do we look at God and say, God's bigger than anything that's out there. And so consequently, I'm going to run into battle. I'm going to go full speed ahead. I'm going to attack because I'm qualified. And it doesn't even matter how I see myself. I got a God in heaven that sees me as a beloved son and a saint and someone worth dying for and worth pouring into, and he is going to be the one that wins this battle. We all have people in our lives. And sometimes we look at them and we say, I'm not sure how God can intervene into the life of this person. You have no idea what they're going through. You have no idea how big the problems are in their lives. It's God's desire that none should perish, but that all should come to a knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ. That all should give their lives to Jesus Christ. We need to start praying for people. We need to start imparting the knowledge that we have, even if it's just a small bit to people. We need to be seeking after God's wisdom. We need to let it change our lives. We need to let this stuff go from our heads to our hearts, out our hands, and out our heels, and take the word of God, take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world out there. Because you are qualified to do it if you are one of God's saints, and all it takes to be that is faith in him, and ask for his forgiveness, and claim the free gift of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time together this morning. And Lord, I just, I pray that the word that we have shared this morning would be challenging to each one of us, Lord, that we would see where we are in this continuum of, of this, this circle of how you work in our lives, Lord, and we would greatly desire, Lord, to move on to the next step, that we would greatly desire, Lord, to, to grow in you and to be warriors equipped for your battle, Lord, that we would be faithful warriors and soldiers in this warfare, for the gospel. And Father God, we just we pray that you would make us prayer warriors too for those that we know that do not know you already and that you would give us the boldness to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those people. And Father God, that you would impact our lives to such a point that others would look at us and say, I want what you have. And we can look at them and say, all I have that you don't is forgiveness from God through Jesus Christ. Thank you for our time and your word this morning, Lord. May it impact our hearts in a mighty way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.